pre-service time when trying to fit everybody in this place that uh, it's a good thing that beginning next week, March 7th, we're going to start expanding to two services again, all right? Create some more space here. So a 9 o'clock service and a 10.30 service, really for a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, so we can accommodate more people, right? As more of you have felt comfortable returning, we want to continue to not only provide that space, but also just kind of give some space in between our families so that everybody feels comfortable with that. Um, we also just want to, uh, to make it easier, right, for those who are more cautious to feel safe. And so especially I think that 9 o'clock service is going to create an opportunity for you to just have some distance between you and others. And, and some of you that are watching online, we know some of you are getting your vaccinations. Some of you are just getting more comfortable with how that is playing out. Um, and some of you just are like, I just need more space. So whatever the reason, we hope that uh, that that'll involve you. So for the month of March, okay, we're just going to have our children's and our student ministries um, during the 1030 service. Okay, so for some of you, uh, staying in the 1030 service makes all the sense in the world because of that. For some of you, uh, moving to the 9 o'clock service, well, that might make sense to you for that reason, or it might make sense to you just be flexible because you don't need those services with uh, how your family's structured right now. And so we're hoping some of you will move to the 9 o'clock, create some space. Anyway, we trust God's going to take care of all of that. Um, the plan is on... Easter Sunday, which is March 4th, five weeks away, uh, we're going to have then during all of the services, both of our services, all of our children's ministry going. And the following week, um, you don't have to keep and take notes of all this. We'll keep reminding you. But on the 11th, the week after Easter, then we'll decide which service makes sense for our student ministries. And um, we're also going to begin our adult growth classes again. So lots of things to be excited about as we just continue to roll out uh, more ministry opportunities and growth opportunities for us just as part of the church. Now, I want you to take your Bible, open your Bible app, grab one in front of you from the chair underneath the Bible and open with me to Mark chapter 9. This morning I'm going to preach on a, on a text that I don't think I've ever preached on before. Um, in your Bible, it might have a subheading right above it titled The Transfiguration. Okay? Now, a little later in the message... I'm going to ask you to take a trip with me mentally. Okay? I'm going to ask you to go back to a time when you felt intimate or close or just particularly um, connected to God. Okay? And so you got a little bit to think about that time was, but chances are, like when you were in the middle of that moment, of that time, you might have thought to yourself, can we stay here? Like right here, right now, like, like maybe a few minutes ago, <laughs> there's probably a family that's saying, you know, like, do we have to go on with the service? Can't we just stay in this moment for a moment? Mark chapter 9, begin with me in verse 2. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. They went up on a high mountain where they could be alone. There in front of the disciples, Jesus was completely changed. Okay, now, your version might read he was transfigured. Others will read he was transformed. One of them says his appearance changed from the inside out. Verse 3. And his clothes became much whiter than any bleach on earth could make them. 
Then Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Teacher, it's good for us to be here. That is your understatement of the day. Let's make three shelters. Let us do it. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But Peter and the others were terribly frightened. Maybe another understatement. And he did not know, being Peter, did not know what he was talking about. True statement. Now, Peter, James, and John, they're, they're kind of Jesus' inner circle. We see that a number of places in the Gospels. When he raised Jairus' daughter, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, a number of times where it's Jesus and these three. He took them to a high mountain. Now, a high mountain is a place associated in Scripture with receiving special revelation from God. And that's about what is supposed to, or what is about to take place here. Because while they're on the mountain, Jesus is completely changed. And it says he shines. Okay? Now, I got to believe that it must be similar to what we read in the Old Testament. When Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai, remember it came, he came down from the mountain and it said his skin was shining. Mark writes, his face shone like the sun and his clothes <clears throat> became as white as light. And how cool would it have been for them to see Moses and Elijah? Like these two were special. They were set apart in Jewish thinking. Some, some believe that, that, he, that Elijah here represented all of the prophets. What we know is that Elijah was significant because he literally never physically died. The last moment on earth for him before this time, we read about in 2 Kings 11, it says, as they were walking along and talking together, that's Elijah and his protege, another prophet, Elisha, it says, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, if Elijah represented all the prophets, then maybe Moses represented all of the law here in this particular scene. Although, if you read the scriptures, it says that Moses was considered the greatest prophet of all because he spoke to God face to face. Now, this wasn't a vision. They weren't seeing something. It wasn't like John being caught up in a, a vision or a revelation. Moses and Elijah had actually come back from the world of the dead to be with Jesus, and they are here on this mountain. And they were talking with Jesus. And these three disciples are witnessing something truly amazing. In, in Luke's account of the same event, it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, that the three of them talked about Jesus' death in Jerusalem. And what that would mean, maybe they said, you know, in a town called Troy, Ohio, over 2,000 years from now, they're still going to remember your death every Sunday. Who knows what they were talking about, but the disciples were amazed. It was incredible. Like all of the prophets and all of history had pointed to Jesus' work and what he was about to accomplish through the cross and the resurrection. And they were listening to Moses and Elijah and Jesus 
talking about the significance of everything that was coming up, specifically Jesus' death. Now, Paul makes the significance of that death really clear in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, where he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that's what they were talking about up there. Now, Peter and James and John were beside themselves. What is happening, they had to be thinking, right? What was happening to them? They weren't quite sure, but Peter thinks, like, this ought to be remembered. Like, this occasion, this ought to be honored. So he talks about building the three tents for them, or the tabernacles, or the shelters. Maybe he thought, like, if we build these shelters... Maybe they'll hang out for a while. (laughs) Maybe they'll stay with us, Moses and Elijah. Maybe he thought we should build a shelter so that Jesus will stay up here a while and quit talking about all this suffering and death and all the things that Jesus had told them was ahead. Maybe he thought, well, I know what Jesus said, but we always thought the Messiah was here to kind of kick the tail of the Romans. And like Moses and Elijah here, this must be the beginning of Jesus as the Messiah in a special way. Maybe Peter, because he's just so impulsive, didn't know what to say. So that's the first thing that came out. I think that's probably true as well. Either way, in Mark 6 at the end, talking about Peter, it says he didn't know what he was talking about. But before that, Jesus was completely changed, and he became pure white. And disciples knew that God was present. That part they did know. And it was exciting and amazing. And then, then God speaks, almost like they heard at Jesus' baptism. And their message, God's message to them was that Jesus was right on track. He was right on track. The same voice that had spoken at Jesus' baptism now speaks again. And God says, beginning in verse 7, it says, The shadow of the cloud passed over and covered them. And from a cloud, a voice said, This is my son, and I love him. Listen to what he says. And at once it says the disciples looked around and there was only Jesus there. Just like that, Moses and Elijah were gone. Just like that, only Jesus remained. Just like that, the old had passed away and the new was here. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, we're reading those first two verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Old Testament had paved the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he was there. I mean, Jesus was and is the person around whom the whole Bible centers. It's all about him. And here he is playing it out and living it out. And God says so clearly and so definitively at this point. Remember when he spoke at his baptism, he said Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. 
And God says, this is my son, and I'm so pleased at him. Jesus had done a lot of things now, and he was about to embark on the most difficult section of life that anyone has ever experienced on his road to the cross. And God says, this is my son, and I love him. Listen to what he says. Jesus was right in the position where God wanted him to be. He knew what was going on. He knew what was going to happen. And the disciples watching all this, we find themselves wondering again, what is happening? Like, I wish I could say that like Becky says that. Have you ever heard her say that? Ask her sometimes. It's a whole different effect, right? <laughs> now, certainly they were wondering about the, the transfiguration, that transformation that had just happened, that they had witnessed. And they had to be in awe. Like, they literally just saw Moses and Elijah. And again, they were witnesses of God actually speaking. I mean, how many people in history had audibly heard the voice of God before? But their heads are about to spin again for a different reason than all of those, although all of those were worthy, right? Look down at verse 9. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were coming down the mountain, he told them not to say a word about what they had seen until the Son of Man had been raised from death. So they kept it to themselves, but they wondered what he meant by the words raised from death. Disciples asked Jesus, don't the teachers of the law of Moses say that Elijah must come before the Messiah does? Jesus answered, Elijah certainly will come to get everything ready, but don't the scriptures also say that the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected? I can assure you that Elijah has already come and people treated him just as they wanted to, as the scriptures say they would. Now, if you're interested, you can read over Matthew chapter 17, the parallel passages, excuse me, where Jesus tells them, John the Baptist, that was Elijah coming, preparing the way for the Messiah. He makes that really clear there. So Jesus talked to them about staying quiet until he had been raised from the dead. Raised from death. And they had no idea what he meant. They were perplexed. I mean, they, they believed in eternity. They believed in being with God forever. But Jesus was talking about coming back to life. And they didn't have a clue. And why would they? Like, they had nothing by which to measure those words. What could he be talking about? I mean, we look at history in the past. They are living this in the moment, and it hasn't happened yet. We know as we read through the scriptures, through the gospels, like literally until Jesus comes back to life, they don't understand what he was talking about at that very moment. And so they walk with Jesus back down the mountain. No doubt their head's exploding trying to figure out all that had just happened and all that Jesus had said. And probably their hearts exploding. I mean, they had just seen Moses and Elijah come back from the dead. And they had seen Jesus transform before their eyes into bright white, and he shone. 
and they had heard God speak, that's a pretty good day, wouldn't you think? (laughs) What a day that was for them. And yet back down the mountain meant back to reality. Back down the mountain meant the challenging path of suffering that Jesus had been unfolding for them for some time now. As we think about application to this passage this morning, I want to take a step back. And I want us to think for a few moments about living in the tension. Okay, living in the tension. So I said I want you to take a trip with me. So close your eyes. Okay, that's dangerous for a preacher to say on Sunday morning, especially those of you that didn't have much sleep last night. Okay, so you stay alert, but close your eyes. And I want you to take a trip with me back in time. Back to a place where you were in awe of God. Okay, where you were intimately connected to Him or when you witness God do something that only He could do. That might have been like a spiritual mountaintop experience involving worship and communion with God in a worship service. Maybe it wasn't a church service. Maybe it was at church camp, a youth conference, a Christian concert. Maybe it was back in the days of the Promise Keepers conferences or the Women of Faith conferences. Maybe it was in a revival. Sometime when you... And God were one. Now it could also have been a meeting with God that took place in the valley of despair. When God met you and you knew you were not alone. I mean, you felt deserted by people, by everyone else, but knew that God was with you. And while the time was difficult, being close to God was equally beautiful. Now, for some, it might have been being present when God answered a prayer and you knew that God was with you at that moment. Or maybe that moment might have included a healing or someone surrendering their life to Jesus or some kind of a vision or promise from God. Maybe it was a a phone call where you received news related to your deepest longing for which you've been asking God to act. Whatever it was, God was there. And you knew it. And if you're in that moment right now with me, don't you just want to stay there? Don't you find yourself during those times of intimacy wishing that time would stand still? Wishing that the world would just pause or simply pass you by and leave you alone? I got to believe that Peter... And James and John must have felt like that. For those of you who are sleeping, you can wake up. For the others, you can open your eyes. Like Peter's words give us this indication of that sense that he felt. I'm sure if he knew more completely the road that lie ahead, if he really understood what it meant for the Messiah, Jesus, to suffer, and go to the cross. He might have been more emphatic about Jesus. No, let me build a shelter and let's stay here on the mountain and enjoy this time instead of returning to reality and the suffering that Jesus had told them 
lie ahead. Yet the reality is that the disciples, like us, spent most of their time not on the mountain, even though Jesus was with them, they spent much more time in the valley, in the area of struggle. Like, like we have glimpses of glory and glimpses of intimacy, but we face reality that challenges that intimacy most moments of nearly every day. The world is pulling us away from God and away from those things. So let me suggest a strategy. Just It's not like a simple self-help. It's just three things that you and I can do to help us live in the tension between struggle and hope, between the mountain and the world that we live in, between that time of intimacy that I just so rudely brought you back from <laughs> and the reality of what might be our reality when we walk outside these doors today or maybe the reality that you brought with you into these doors because it just is so on you right now. The first is this, remembering the times of intimacy carries us through the dark times. Okay? When our faith is challenged, both from within and from without, like God met us. He engaged us. He revealed himself to us. He showed us love and he showed us value. And when we face the times that cause us to question God's love and the times that cause us to question our value, to wonder if we'll ever get through this dark valley we find ourselves in, if there's even a future with God, and us, beyond this life, we go back to the place of intimacy to find strength so that we can travel the path of struggle. Right? If you want courage for this day, go back to that day. Remind yourself, I met God. He was real to me. And draw strength from that. Listen, we can't live on visions Right? We have to live by faith. We can't freeze time. We can't just build a tent or pop a squat and sit down and, and just stay there through life. And the problem is, sometimes the memories fade and the feelings diminish and the past gets forgotten. And sometimes you find yourself questioning, did that really happen? Was it really real? And it happens because the noise and the pressure of the challenges of this life drown it out and press against the voice of God and against the intimacy cultivated during those times of being close to Him. That's why we remember it's also why when we struggle to live successfully in the tension of hope and struggle, that we have to feed intimacy with God. That's the second piece. Feed intimacy with God. It's God's word and it's our connection to Him that feed our relationship with Him even when the tingly moments fade. <laughs> even when you're waiting for something to happen and it doesn't seem to happen, 
We invest ourselves into staying engaged with the life that God has called us to live, into staying focused on our calling, and into staying connected to God himself. And if we will do that and invest ourselves in that way, we will, like Paul at the end of our journey, be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that is the goal for Jesus. We know glory was to come, but the road between that mountain and his resurrection from the dead, it was full of struggle and even death. And our road is going to be full of times of both struggle and hope. And so we have to prepare for that as we go. And then third, with the idea of, of, of these three with him, can I suggest that we also need to live in community? To live in community. Like Jesus had a multitude of followers, and he had 12 disciples. But he had three people that were part of his inner circle. Most of us, if we just go back to where we were a few minutes ago, understand that, that experiencing God is a beautiful thing. Experiencing Him in community is a powerful thing. Have we not learned or had emphasized to us during this past year just how much we have been created for relationships and created for community? That's why we're so excited to be together again. That's why I hope that some of you who are watching today, who, who we're literally coming, this is like week number 50, we're counting, <laughs> that we haven't seen you and we miss you. And while we hope that opening up that next service would just give you a comfort level, even as you're getting your vaccinations or getting acclimated to what is our new world, that we'll get to see you again. Because God created us to live in community. And that's why we always talk about being connected to a small group. Like Sunday morning worship is great. Doing life in community is even better. We can live so much more successfully in the tension of struggle and hope when we are journeying through this life with people who have a like mind and a like heart and a like love for the same God. So let's make a commitment this morning. Okay? Let's make a commitment to revisit the times that we have been close to God and maybe even stay there for a few moments to gather some strength. Let's make a commitment to feed our relationship with God and not expect that a great Sunday morning worship service is going to fuel us enough to make it through the week and end up on the right side of hope and struggle. And let's make a commitment to connect with God's people in this journey called life, both on, in worship and in small groups or discipleship relationships or other things outside of this particular room. Listen, I, I know that many of you are struggling right now. Okay? Life brings that. Um, it hurts me 
to think that some of us here this morning, like that you're struggling alone. It's not God's plan for you. So I'm going to just ask you to allow us to come alongside of you. I, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to invite you, uh, when we sing, after the service, before you leave, uh, allow someone to come into your life and into your struggle with you to pray. Grab one of our staff members, grab myself, grab one of our leaders, grab the, the person who brought you or the person that you remember loving and, and maybe that relationship has grown distant. Let's ask God to join us together with one another, even as we're joined with him in this struggle and this tension of hope with life. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, you um, designed us to be in community, to live in relationship, primarily with you as our God and our creator and our father, but also with one another. Lord, when we meet you, it's a beautiful thing and a place that we want to stay. But you've called us to a world that is hurting uh, to make followers by being a follower and displaying Jesus in our life. Would you just empower us to be who you've called us to be and give us enough courage to invite others into our journey. We pray in Jesus' name.